0: As the 4th and 5th graders are taken off I'm going to worship, we ask uh, that you grab a Bible uh, and open up to First Peter. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it, First Peter. Uh, I preach out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. I think it's more uh, word for word. The um, New Living Translation is a good translation too as well if you just want to read your Bible. If you've never opened up a Bible before, First Peter is going to be on the right hand side of your Bible. It is in the New Testament. The New Testament is all about Jesus. And then the Old Testament is all about Jesus coming. Jesus is the central figure in the Bible. Um, Big numbers are going to be the chapters, and then the smaller numbers are going to be the verses. And if you have never looked at the Bible before ever, uh, it's in the New Testament at least. Um, There's four books called the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they walk through Jesus' life, what he um, was like, what he did then his death, and then his resurrection is hit on another book called Acts. And Acts is actually a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. And then you get after that into all these letters on how the church should function. Jesus leaves and he essentially says, hey, this is how you should function as a church and what it should look like for you when you gather and all of those specific things. So there's a lot of kind of ways that we live. It's not rules and regulations anymore in regards to the Old Testament law. Now we're under this thing called grace. And as we look at grace, we realize that grace causes us to conform to the image of Christ. We want to live like Jesus. Jesus lived because he was perfect in every way. He was 100% God and 100% man who died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, his sin was a propitiation, a proper sacrifice, that those who would confess that they're sinners and believe that Jesus' blood covers their sin and trust him in faith would be saved. And that's where we get salvation from, Okay. And so um, we're looking at this letter from Peter, and Peter is uh, an apostle, one who has actually seen Jesus. He spent time with him, and his name was Simon before it was Peter. He was a fisherman, he had a real successful fishing business, and then Jesus kind of calls him from the fishing business to do something uh, extraordinary. So he goes from ordinary to extraordinary, he goes from common to uncommon, and Peter says, hey, what Jesus did for me, he can also do for you. And so he writes us this letter. Uh, Originally, this letter is going to be for the five people or or, um, groups that are scattered. And this is in verse 2 of the very first chapter in dispersion. They're all over the place. And we realize the same is true for us today. We're all over the place. Uh, Christians are gathered all over the world. And so it starts from that specific place and then it goes uh, to us all. We've already talked a little bit about this verse Um, from the first couple of verses. And then we looked at verse 3. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And verse 3 all the way to verse 12 is one sentence in the Greek, okay? So there's some truths that are going to overlap. So if you're looking at that and you're thinking, man, there's some things that we've already discussed and talked about, that would make sense because it's a big run-on sentence. So the first two verses we see are going to be the introduction to the letter. Then Peter's going to kind of go on this big, huge uh, sentence. And he is going to talk about how great it is that we are saved from our sins. And he says, Jesus is our living hope. He's not dead. He's alive. He is working in and through his people. He is operating in a way that um, is so extraordinary that it causes us to really uh, be overwhelmed over the fact that we have received this great gift. Now, speaking of gifts... Um, I know Christmas has passed, and we're looking into warmer weather. Oh, how unfortunate. Uh, my wife gets really uh, depressed when the snow leaves. I get really depressed when the snow comes, and so we work out well together, all right? And uh, I know Christmas is left, but think about um, when you get a gift. Have you ever gotten a gift and thought to yourself, man, this gift uh, on the surface just doesn't have really any significance to you? Uh, Maybe uh, when you were little, your mom and dad gave you something from grandma and grandpa, and you thought to yourself, this means nothing to me. But then all of a sudden, the gift started to gain some traction when you started to understand what the gift was really truly all about. So they started telling you the story, or maybe it was grandpa's war medal, and this is what he did in the war, and you start thinking to yourself, whoa, and now this thing becomes more and more of value to you. Maybe it was grandma's um, quilt, or for some of you who um, have wedding rings that have been melted down, for example, um, or used from from grandma or great-grandma to make your ring. Or maybe you actually have that ring, and you hear the story about that, and you think to yourself, whoa, this is amazing. This gift is something that I truly treasure. The same happens in regards to salvation. We don't really understand what we have When we first come to know Jesus, it takes us a while to really understand and unpack these truths. And once we start to unpack them, once we start to look at them in a new light, it changes our life in a very radical way. That's what Peter wants us to know. Jesus, this living hope, has given you a gift called salvation. And if you understand it in a way that God wants you to understand it, it can radically transform your whole entire day, your whole entire week, your whole entire month your whole entire life. So as we look at that last part of that run-on sentence, verse 10 all the way to verse 12, our goal today is to look at how great this salvation is and what Peter wants for us and how it's going to change our life. Let me pray for clarity and then we'll look at the text. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to preach and to teach your word. Thank you that you use broken vessels like myself uh, to give this truth over. And that you've given us uh, the truth of the gospel. That you came, died, and rose again. And that we can validate that through history. And we can see your truth also lived out in the lives of your followers. God, as I approach your word this morning, I ask that you help me be clear. And that the Holy Spirit would speak in such a way uh, that he either convicts us of our sin. And we turn from ourselves into a relationship with you or if we already know you, that this causes us uh, to radically transform our life so that we would uh, continue to become more like Jesus and see that when we do those things, we have peace and joy and we have the opportunity to know a life uh, that we didn't know before. God, work in and through our time here together. May it be honoring and glorifying to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, first Peter chapter 1 verse 10. This is what it says. Concerning this salvation. There it is. Concerning this salvation. Concerning what you know that God has done for you. Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose again. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be Searched and inquired carefully. Just hit that first part of verse 11. They inquired of what person or what time. The first thing that we realize when we look at how great our salvation is, is that it was something that the Old Testament prophets longed for. It's something that the days of old, these people in the Old Testament, they longed to have the salvation that you would have. What is salvation? Good question. Salvation is Jesus. A hundred percent God, came from the heavenly Father, but also a hundred percent man. Mary was his mom, was a perfect God and a perfect uh, man who took sin upon himself. Paul will write a letter to the Corinthian church, and he will say in chapter 5, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, wasn't a sinner to be sin for us. He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. And Paul writes again to the letter uh, in the Romans, in Romans chapter 5, he says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He claims victory over sin. He claims victory over death. And if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also have the promise of scripture that we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, I always ask the question, why would God do this? There's nothing in it for Him. Do you realize in the salvation that we have received from God, there's nothing in it for Him? The only thing in it for Him is that He has fellowship with His creation. He says, everything is in it for you. Everything is in it for you because I desire to be your friend. Not like you would accept him on Facebook and just visit him once or twice every year, okay? That's not what God says. He says, I don't want you to add me like a friend on Facebook or or add me to the list of your followers and your social media outlets. He says, no, I want you to come and fully surrender to me because when I'm your friend, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this. That he would lay down his life for his friends. He died so that you can live. And if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, if we trust that his death was a payment for our sins, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. That's salvation. That God had you on his mind when he died on that cross. That you. And your spiritual hunger can be satisfied, that the lights could be turned on, that you can go from death, I was once walking as if I knew what I should do, and now I'm going to walking of what I know to be true of what I should do. This was a salvation that the prophets longed to see. Now, if you want to, you can circle that word prophet in your Bible, okay? We have to distinguish what a prophet is and what a prophet does. There's two kinds of uh, what we would call prophet or prophecies, all right? Big P prophet and small P prophet. Big P prophet is the Old Testament prophet, okay? The Old Testament prophet that preached about this Jesus who were to come. He didn't have a name in the Old Testament. They just called him the Messiah. So in the Old Testament, these big P prophets, all right, were often called seers. And they proclaimed 300 times. We realized that this Jesus is going to come. This Messiah is going to come. He's going to wipe away the sin from the earth. He's going to have a relationship with people. And as the prophet revealed the truth from God, he also had a couple of other responsibilities. He would call people away from what they were doing that displeased God, and he would call them to say, hey, this is what you need to do to please the Lord. Then he would also talk about what was to come in the future. So those big P prophets were the foundations that we have for not just the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, but they also laid a lot of the groundwork for the early church. And so we see that these individuals helped Israel get back on track to a right relationship with God, but also these prophets from long ago help us continue to this day, get back on track with how we need to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul will tell the church in Ephesus in chapter two, the prophets and the church are built on that foundation with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, some of us would say, are there still prophets today? Do they still exist today? I'll ask you two questions. Number one, if there are still prophets today, do we have the whole revelation from God? The answer to that question is yes. We have the Bible. All 66 books of the Bible are useful for teaching and training and reproofing and all of those things. So we would say that God has already said everything that he needs to say. And that canonization, that's the big word there, of scripture is complete. Okay, so we already have that. So do we need any more revelation from God? The answer to that question is no. All right, the next thing that we would ask, the other question is, can God still give someone a message to deliver to somebody else? Well, absolutely, that's true, but we would say, does it come from his word or not from his word? And so there are people out there would say, that's prophecy, and that's little p prophecy, okay? And we would say little p prophecy, in its proper definition, is the giving of God's word to somebody else who needs it in the situation where they find themselves in. And we wouldn't say that there's any more revelation from God that needs to be had. And so when we talk about little p prophecy, we say this is speaking the truth, and we don't include prophecy in that because it gets confusing. All right, so there's a lot of times for us as a church, we just don't say somebody prophesied on somebody else because it gets confusing because it makes that individual think that there's more revelation from God that he has already or needs to say. And God has already said what he needs to say. So, is there telling of truth from scripture? Absolutely. Do we call that prophecy? You could. We choose not to just To make sure that it's not confusing. Are there big P prophets anymore? No. We have the word of God. We don't need this gift of prophecy anymore. These Old Testament prophets. And here's further validation on this. Searched and inquired carefully. They wanted to know more about what they had been told. They wondered when the Messiah would come. What events would happen when he came. Why would he have to suffer? What happened after he died? They wondered and actively searched through earlier scriptures and their own prophecies to learn more and find answers. And Jesus said this would happen. Jesus specifically tells us in Luke chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 13 that I tell you the truth, many prophets from long ago long to see what you saw, long to hear what you hear. Let your mind wrap around that statement. That the men who lived in the Old Testament, who spoke things of God, who talked about what God was going to do, who talked about what God was going to say, who talked about what God was going to uh, look like and, 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 and think like and say, those men long to have a relationship with God like you do. You have the complete revelation of God at your fingertips and the people of old long to have a relationship like you have with the living God or could have like the living God. So Peter writes to the believers in his day and they say, you need to understand that the, that the life of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection is completely fulfilled and it is a gift. It wasn't ready until now. So what? That's the problem. That's the problem that we have in our society today. We look at that and we say, so what? It means the world to us. Think back to your wedding day. And let's say that you're, if you're not married yet, the best is yet to come. Let's say that your mom comes in and she looks at you and she says, darling, I can't wait to give this to you. And she's got a box in her hand. And she opens up that box and she pulls out some item that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And she looks at you and she says, this gift is for you. Now is the time in which you can truly cherish this gift. We're going to put this in your wedding. It's going to be amazing. Now the crazy thing is, only you'll know. Everybody else out there won't unless you tell them about it. And so she takes that item and she puts it on wherever she needs to put it on at. And all of a sudden, um, it has great value because it wasn't ready until that time. Now it's ready. The same is true about our salvation with Jesus Christ. It wasn't ready for the spirit to dwell within you until today. At this moment, at this time. It has great value for you because it changes. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit changes how we see everything in the world. It wasn't ready until now. And here we see we're living in a day where we have full access and also full validation of the gospel that we have received. The Old Testament prophets long to know this life in the way that you know it. So it would be foolish for us not to take full access of the inheritance that's been given to you. So Dusty was up here and she was talking about the women's retreat. It would be foolish for us, knowing how great this gift is, to not read our Bibles. It would be foolish for us, knowing how great this gift is, to not pray. It would be foolish for us not to participate in the fellowship that we have here at church. It would be foolish for us to just say, God, you've given me a great gift, but I'm going to do nothing with it. No, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to implement this in every single area of my life. It is an amazing gift that has been given to you. And it was confirmed, look at the second part of verse 11, by the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to pause and we're going to learn some theology here for a second. But it says, inquiring of what person in time, what? The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now in the Old Testament, the Spirit came and dwelled and then it left. And then it came, and then it dwelled, and then it left, okay? This is why when you read the Psalms, you think David is a little bipolar, all right? Because he's all over the map, because all of a sudden, he has the indwelling of the Spirit, and he feels what God's uh, relationship with God is like, and then all of a sudden, he leaves, And Peter demonstrates here that, yes, we're going to suffer when we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, but we have an example to follow who was Jesus, who modeled for us what life would be like, and he was not just a man of sorrow. He was spirit-filled. He had received God's Spirit and then gives it back to you. And so the Spirit of Christ, you can underline that in your Bibles, is another name for the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament prophets wrote under his inspiration, It says in 2 Peter, verse 1, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but spoke, men spoke from God as they carried along the Holy Spirit. And so we would ask, um, if that was the case, what happened? Prophets had the Holy Spirit in them. They wondered when this would be made manifest in or made known to the people in the days to come. How do we know that? Subsequent glories speaks of that coming after something else or following. So the prophets described in detail Jesus' birth, his life, his death and resurrection and his sufferings, but they wondered when Jesus was going to give the gift of the Holy Spirit, which happens in Acts at the day of Pentecost. Jesus says, I'm going to give another. I'm going to give a guide. I'm going to give a counselor. I'm going to give one who can teach, assist and guide you who believe. So what? Well, that's a good question too. The Holy Spirit is at work today. All right? And I'll show you how. Number one, I'm going to give you five things, okay? The way the Holy Spirit works. We're going to pause for a second and take a little bit of theology lesson here, okay? Number one, he convicts to believers and non-believers. The Holy Spirit convicts us of this thing that we call sin. He is actively pointing out problems in your life. He's actively showing you things that you shouldn't do because they don't bring glory to God. He convicts us of our sin. He works on the heart. Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to send another. He's going to convict the world of guilt in regards to sin, in regards to righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit takes God's biblical truth to men to convince them that they're sinners. You have a choice on how you'll respond. Just as the bride accepts the gift, she also has the opportunity to reject the gift. And so we see in the gospel that God loves us so much that he convicts us of sin and he says, you have a choice. Why would God give us a choice? Because he cannot receive your worship truly unless he gives you the choice to accept him. It's the same with us who have kids. We look at it and say, I'm your dad. They believe it. All right, you're my dad. You can either love me or you can hate me. It's your choice. But the love they have for the parent comes from understanding what they have been given as children. So to non-believers and believers, he starts at the conviction process. Wrap your mind around this. God cannot do anything more in your life if you continue to reject the work of the Holy Spirit. If you say, I don't want relationship with God through faith in Christ, he cannot work. The first step to salvation is humbling ourselves before the living God, saying, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and I fall short of your standard. It has to be some sort of pouring out to God, saying, it's true, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, many of us in this room have done that. We've said, yep, I know I'm a sinner. Um, Not only does the Bible say it, but other people tell me that too in my life, right? And so, what happens after that? Okay, He counsels. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit counsels us in all things. That word counsel means one who comes alongside. And we see in the work of the Holy Spirit, he encourages us. It's often received well, but ready for this? It's oftentimes something that hurts a little bit. In the counsel of the Holy Spirit, he loves us enough to tell us how far off we are. And he will never leave us. We have this thing called sealing that takes place. God is helping his children. He is comforting his children. He is guiding his children. Jesus himself says, I'll ask the Father. He will give you a counselor to be with you forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And all of us look at it sometimes and we think God has gone a massive distance away from us when in reality God is right next to us and he's waiting for us to come back and be dependent upon him. In God's counsel, in the Holy Spirit, it is compensation for the absence of Christ. He performs functions he would do if Jesus was physically present with us today. Oftentimes we wonder, why can't the Physical body of Christ be with us today because we have to have faith. Why can't the physical body of Christ be with us today? Why can't He just show Himself because He gives us the Spirit? The old is gone and the new has come. So He starts to counsel. Now, in the life of a believer, next thing is He reveals truth to us. The Holy Spirit's presence within us enables us to understand and interpret God's Word. I just prayed it this morning actually as I was reading my Bible. I thought to myself, I don't understand what that says. And I said, God, is there any way that you can reveal that truth to me? And I texted a, a dear brother of mine, and he texted me back, and he says, this is exactly where you need to go. And a New Testament passage linked with an Old Testament passage, and before I know it, it was amazing. Light bulbs turned on, okay? Jesus tells us that this Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will reveal what is called the whole counsel of God, making all things clear in regards to how you are to worship, how you are to think, how you are to participate in the church, how you're to love your wife, how you're to love your kids, how you love your coworkers. The Holy Spirit shows us exactly what we need to know in regards to all things. He makes it clear for us. Now, I tell college students this all the time because when they study for a test, they usually miss uh, questions on the test because they overthink. Have you ever overthought something? Have you ever overthought something in such a way where you think to yourself, man, I got it wrong because I overthought something? In God's word, his whole goal as a loving God is not to trip you up. It's just to make you aware that it could be that simple. So I think sometimes God looks at us and he says, just keep it simple, stupid. And I don't think, uh, you probably think that's bad theology that God would call me stupid, but I know me. So it makes sense. A lot of times God's probably looking at me like, Jordan, that was dumb, right? And that's the Holy Spirit speaking about how I've either accepted or rejected the truth of God. I know that because, number four. He gives gifts. So he convicts, he counsels, he reveals truths, and he gives gifts. Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12 describes all these gifts that are given to believers so that we can participate in the family of God. Everybody has a function. It's much like uh, in my house when we have dinner. Everybody has a function. Somebody's got to get plates. Somebody's got to set the table. Somebody's got to make the food. All that other stuff, right? Somebody's got to eat the food. Right? All that stuff okay? Everybody has a function bringing to the table. And so all gifts are Holy Spirit given so that we may be Christ's ambassadors to the world, showing forth His grace and glorifying Him. Now just think about this, all right? If you have poor self-esteem, you're sitting there looking at it, you're like, man, I just don't think I'm that great. Hold on a second. God looks at you and He says, not only do I think you're great, okay, I think you're wonderful because I'm giving you a gift that Old Testament prophets long to have. But not just that. I'm going to give you A spirit that is my spirit, and it will speak to you in a way that nobody's ever spoken to you. It will counsel you. It will reveal truth to you. It will give gifts to you. And the last thing, you will be able to produce fruit. The reason we find ourselves so completely devastated in this life is because we are on the wrong vine. We have attached ourselves to the secular vine and we think, man, that's going to produce fruit in our life. When we really need to be on the spiritual vine, which is Christ, who has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit. The more you depend on me, the more you allow me to work in and through your life, the more you'll know what true love is. Love is seeking the other person's best. You find yourself oftentimes completely unsatisfied in Christ because you've been seeking yourself and not the other person's best, whether that's a marriage or kids or co-workers or family members, whatever the case is. He says, you'll know joy, not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is a worldly thing. Joy, though, comes in the morning when we have this Holy Spirit. You'll know peace in times of pain, in times of crisis, in times of sickness, You'll be calm. You'll start acting ways that you didn't even think you could act because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You'll know patience. I'll never forget the first time I was patient with somebody when I came to know Jesus. I thought to myself, that's how I know God exists. You'll know kindness. You'll know goodness. You'll get to a spot in your life when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, somebody will do something that will cause you harm you. Look at them and you go, no big deal. Can you imagine that? And you'll surprise yourself. You'll think to yourself, how did I get here? How did I get to that point? It's because Christ has dwelled in me and I've given him full access to my life. You'll know faithfulness. You'll be gentle. You'll be self-controlled. And if those things are not manifesting in your life, church, let me just ask you a really hard question. Are those things not manifesting in your life? Because A, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you never really confessed that you're a sinner and believed in Jesus Christ as your Messiah, the Savior. Or B, because you've been seeking the things of yourself and not what is hidden in Scripture. Oftentimes, we get to a spot where we are not full of the Holy Spirit because we have not feasted off the Holy Spirit. Our flesh is incapable of producing fruit. It is impossible for me as a human being outside of the body of Christ to produce any fruit. Now, here's the other thing I know to be true. Half of the spiritual disciplines, what God calls me to do, spiritual disciplines is what God calls me to do, I can do solo. The other half, I need you people. I need the church. I gotta have the church in order to accomplish all the spiritual disciplines and be full of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is yours And it makes salvation so great. The more you start to unpack it, the more you start to see what God has in store for you, you realize this is a great gift. Old Testament prophets, they long to have this. But not only that, the Holy Spirit has truly confirmed it in me. I know that Jesus Christ exists because I know who I was 10 years ago and I know who I am today. I know the amount of work that still needs to be done, but I know that God is working as well. Now, he doesn't stop there, though. Look at verse 12. This is really interesting. You get more theology that comes out here. It was revealed to them, Old Testament prophets, that's them, okay? That they were serving not themselves. Whoa. It was revealed to the Old Testament prophets that they weren't serving themselves. They were serving who? You. They committed an act of love so great that they realized that the salvation that would be received, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, would not just be for them, it would be for you. In things that now have been announced to you, like what? The things that we've already talked about in the past verses. Who preached the good news to you, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things, oh, here we go, into which angels long to look. What? Okay, now we got to know something about angels, all right, in order to really understand this. What's an angel? Every time a bell rings, an angel doesn't get its wings, okay? Hate to break it to you. I know, that's bad theology, all right? Angels... Are personal created beings. They are personal created beings. Some of them have wings. Some of them don't. Hard telling. All right. We know a couple things about them. Number one, we know they're intelligent, and they should be. They know a realm that we don't know. Number two, we know they have emotions, which is interesting to me. We know that they have a will. They get to either choose on whether or not they will worship God or they'll reject God. So fallen angels are what we call demons, all right? They populate hell, and they have chosen to accomplish Satan's work. Since angels are created beings, their knowledge is limited, though, because they don't know everything that God does. They, like us, praise God. They worship him for who he is. They rejoice in what he does. They serve him. They come before him. They ask him questions. They are instruments of carrying out his judgment. That'd be kind of cool, right? They aid in helping our, our evangelism efforts and coming uh, to get people to know Jesus. They observe us. They watch us. They're watching over us all the time. They're thinking to themselves, man, that wasn't very smart, right? Or that was genius. I like to think that my angel, whoever that may be, he's been retired like 20 times. My mom used to always tell me that. She said, Jordan, you got 17 guardian angels, 16 have been in retirement. That's not biblical, but whatever, mom. All right. They help us when we die. They usher us into eternity. But ready for this? They are not created in the image of God. They are not created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. When you get up tomorrow morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, think to yourself this. God has made me in His image. He has not created angels in His image. You are the representation of God on earth. Isn't that amazing? He looks at us and He says, I've made you in my image. But the angels, they weren't made in the image of God. Why? Because they're created to serve in a completely different way. And angels look at us and they think, I wonder what it would be like to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what it would be like to confess that Jesus Christ is the Savior and he died on the cross and the old is gone and the new has come. Think about the conversations that angels have every day. They think to themselves, man, what I wouldn't do to be human. What I wouldn't do to be a follower of Christ in that capacity. They cannot become like us and we cannot become like them. If somebody looks at you and says, when you die, you become an angel, say, I don't want to be an angel. There's no way you could pay me to be an angel because they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them that has confirmed the salvation for those of us who have believed. Angels know that God's people are the recipients of God's grace, that they're blessed individuals, and that one day they will be highly honored above them in the kingdom of God. Whoa. Angels wish they could be so, quote unquote, lucky. And as Peter tells his audience, he says, think about this. In church, that letter that Peter wrote goes from that five people groups to us today. And he says, the prophets long to see what you see. The angels long to see what you see. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Dear friends, this makes the gift so great. All right, so now, what do I do with it? So what, right? Like, great, great. If there is a door for being a believer, it has two hinges. First hinge is what we call evangelism or sharing our faith. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For I have commanded you to do all these things. Okay. So you are called to receive this gift first and foremost. But ready for this? You are called to give that gift away. And one of the big problems we have with the modern day church is, We are quiet when it comes to the relationship that we have received. If somebody in your life gave you a valuable gift, Grandpa's war medal, you would display that properly in your house. When people came over, you would tell them the story. When you saw people on the street, you would think to yourself, my grandpa has received a Purple Heart. It was amazing. I didn't know, but now I know, right? You'd be so overwhelmed with it. I'll put it in a better context. You go and check your bank account today, right? And you find out that somebody has placed $100,000 in your bank account. And you think to yourself, what? Surely there was an error. All of a sudden, you get a phone call or a text. And they say, hey, I just want to let you know that your Uncle Herbert, way over in California, loves you. He cares for you. He gave you $100,000. There's no way in God's green earth you would be quiet about that gift, right? You'd be like, I have an Uncle Herbert. He gave me $100,000. And my house, would be like, where's Uncle Herbert live? Maybe he has another $100,000, Right? You'd be super excited. You'd tell your neighbors. Maybe you wouldn't, right? Because I know how my neighbors operate. Like, they'd be like, wait, piece of the cut? You would be so ecstatic over the fact that this gift has been given to you. So why on earth are we quiet about the salvation that we have received? I don't know. I think sometimes the reason, church, why we do not grow spiritually and we do not mature in our relationship with God is because we're quiet about the things of God evangelism is not just an opportunity for somebody who's far from God to come to know God in a relationship through faith with Jesus. It is an opportunity for you to affirm the salvation that you have received. Every time I share my faith with somebody else, guess what? It affirms that God died on the cross for me, that God sent his one and only son, that God gave me the free gift of the Holy Spirit, that God told me that this is something angels and prophets long to see. It's validation. God says, I want you to talk about it because it validates it. So evangelism is the first hinge. We have the opportunity to share our faith because it gives somebody the opportunity to make a choice themselves. But number two, it validates what we know to be true. God says, I want you to share this over and over again because it helps you understand. And you to everything to yourself, well, what is my salvation? What, what all does it contain? A little blue bookmark in front of your pew. Go ahead and take that. Put that in your Bible. Memorize that. Make sure that you have the opportunity to communicate it. Number two is the second hinge. The second hinge of the door of a believer is edification. And we do not point people back to the salvation we have received. We are quiet about this too as well. Do we want people to fail? No, I don't think we want people to fail. Do we want people to have hardships? No, I don't think so. Do we want marriages to disintegrate? Do we look at our kids sometimes and tell them, man, I just hope you do horrible in life? We don't do that to our kids. We don't do that to our coworkers. Deep down inside, we want what's best. And true love is seeking the other person's best. So why are we so quiet and giving people the gospel that we have received in regards to God's word that has been articulated to us? This week, I want you to do two things. And I guarantee you, you will find joy, peace, all of the fruit of the Spirit. Share your faith with somebody so that they'll have the opportunity Uh, to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but so you'll be edified. And number two, build somebody up with the words of God. When you take the Bible to somebody else and you look at them and you say, hey, Peter tells us that in this world we're gonna have problems and we're gonna suffer. When you hear somebody else suffering, that's edification. That's what Peter says that when the Holy Spirit is really truly working in us. We're too busy saying, well, today's another day, it's horrible, blah, 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 blah. Stop, stop. Speak the words of God to people who need it the most. You have to give this gift away. You have to give this gift away. What has been passed on to you must be passed on to somebody else. And then the joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation will be complete. And the grace of God will be made known, manifest within us. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, um, we don't know what we got it Just straight up, we just don't have a real good idea on what we have received. And so the whole point of today um, is just that you would build up your church and help them to see how powerful a gift they have when they trust you as Savior. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, a little blue bookmark in front of your pew. You can pick that up, just start reading through that. It will tell you exactly how to confess that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ is Savior. But understand it has to be heartfelt. It has to be through faith. You have to believe. You have to take the head knowledge that you have in your mind with the heart, faith, the trust. You have to connect those two. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. I know so many of you have done that. I know so many of us gathered here. God, know you as Lord and Savior and we need your help to restore unto us the joy of our salvation, to be excited about what we have received. And I pray that this morning we would, we, we, we would have done just that. That uh, as we understand these Old Testament prophets who long to have the gift that we have and how the Holy Spirit works in and through our lives and, and counsels us and never leaves us and doesn't forsake us and works in and through us. and That even angels long for this, that we would utilize this gift on a daily basis. That we would be adamant about sharing the gift with those who are far from you and that we would encourage other people to as well. That we would swing that door often, and that we would make sure that it's constantly opening and closing. And God, I pray that um, you do a great work in our lives this week, and show us very clearly what it looks like um, of how our our lives can be full and complete when we live this way. Um, Even though it's hard, and there might be some suffering that comes because of it, Help us to know that it's always worth it. So in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.